and he's got something else for you. And our newsletter is out there, so our July newsletter is available. So if you haven't already, pick that up. Um, just gives you some insight what's going on and some hopefully encouragement um, as we do things. So it is July 4th, and normally I don't do... This can come on now. Yeah. Um, normally I don't do... Uh, topical sermons based on holidays or what's going on in the world and the reason why is because if I did that it would be all the time right like you have Mother's Day then you have Memorial Day and then you have Father's Day and then you have Independence Day then you have you know yeah you have all these other holidays that are there and so and if it's then you add in all the political stuff that's happening every single day there, we'll never actually get to the Bible and allowing the Bible to speak for itself. And so we do topical sermons during the wintertime. Um, but we, we don't do that in the summertime because we need to walk through the, the Bible and allow the Bible to speak. And it, the reason why we go through a book of the Bible is so that we can be better versed in actually what God's Word says. Because it's real... It's real easy for us to get into this um, uh, this rut of you you hearing from the pastor, right? And you you come and you hear, okay, this is what the pastor says. But the desire that God has put on my heart is that you would hear from the Bible, okay? That you would hear what the Bible says, and that you could go back to it and go, okay, how can I go deeper? And there's deeper teachings. And, and so if you go through our summer series, you will all, you'll be going through a lot of different Bibles, uh, books of the Bible. So you, you have gone through Mark and Joshua and Corinthians, the first Corinthians, and Colossians. And um, you know this year it's Matthew. And so you have gone through a lot of the books of the Bible. And so that's why we do this, is so that you can be well-grounded in the Word of God. And there's a lot of people that don't understand what the Word of God says. Now, saying all that, we're going to talk about Independence Day <laughs> today. Um, because for the last year, God has really put this on my heart to talk with you. And it's a rare occurrence for the 4th of July to actually fall on, the, on a Sunday. You know, and so it's an opportunity for us for to actually go through this and really understand. Because if we call ourselves Christians, if we say, I have accepted Christ and I am following him, then the 4th of July should be more than just the independence of a nation. That we should view it as this is independent. Like this is, and I love the United States. Um, in fact, in my little thing, I'll tell you some of the things, the reasons why I love the U.S. Um, one of the greatest things is because we get guns. I love guns. <laughs> and so that's, I love it. Um, and so, but that's just one of the reasons. But if you go back into the history of the United States and you look before uh, 1776, if you look before July 4th, that one day, you will notice um, that the preaching of the time was about the freedom that was in Christ. That the churches were filled with freedom language. And so you can go back, and so when you, when you read history of like George Washington, you know, and Thomas Jefferson, and all those great men of the founding of the, of the nation, they were sitting under pastors that were talking about the freedom that was in Christ. And so that lays the foundation of our country. And so today, let's talk about that. Let's go back in time and kind of and recapture that understanding. And this is really important because throughout our history, freedom is a part of the DNA of the United States, right? And it's when you start feeling that, that pushback of your freedom start getting taken away, you understand that this isn't right, right? A great example is when I lived in California, I was telling Jack this morning, when I lived in California, this is one of the reasons why I like guns. I grew up in the rural area, uh, in a rural area of California where guns were a part of life, but you didn't see guns, right? Unless you went hunting. So I would go hunting with my dad. We'd go pheasant hunting every Thanksgiving, 
um, or most Thanksgivings, and we would go out, and you know, I'd just follow them along. I was just, you know, because dumb kid, you know, I was just there for fun. Um, you know, one time I went deer hunting with them, fell into a, a, a thing of bees. You know, it was all a great time. Um, and and so, but as far as guns, you really didn't see it until I moved here to Arizona. And the first time I saw someone with a, a gun on their hip, it was it was weird. You know, it was a weird experience because it was strange. The first time my kids saw a um, a gun, yeah, it's the Wild West. And so it's a strange thing. But now I go to California and it's like, it's weird not seeing a gun on someone's hip or, you know, not being able to carry a firearm. It's a weird um situation because you know now okay there are freedoms i can experience here more freely than you can in places that are communistic and so you know there are things oh yeah oh i didn't say that you implied that from what i said so anyways um but i'm from california i can say things like that um but in the scripture so our nation is based off the scripture, right? This is what we're talking about. Um, in John, in John 8, Jesus gives this like just a little brief thing where he just says this, this thing. If you hold to my teachings, right? If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And it's the basis of our entire system of government is the teachings of God. And then he goes on to say, then you will know the truth, right? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Bible is a freedom book. And that's why us being a nation of freedom, being based on the Scriptures, it couldn't be based on anything else. And it's interesting, you start going back and looking at the history of the world. Look at every nation, every empire that's founded. There's only two empires that are really founded on the Word of God. The first one was Israel. And the second one was the U.S. There's only two. The rest of them were founded on people's strength instead of on God's strength. And so this understand that when we go into the Word of God, it's a freedom word is immensely important. In fact, there's this thing called the Slave Bible. Okay, There's a picture of there. Oh, oh maybe not. Um, there was a picture. It's gone now. Um, there's this Bible called the Slave Bible, and it was produced in 1807. Okay, so in 1807, this Bible was produced, and the purpose of it was there was missionaries that wanted to go to the African slaves that were being brought over to the U.S., and they wanted to go and share the gospel with them, but they weren't allowed to by the slave owners. And the reason why is because the Bible was too, it had too many ideas about freedom of slaves. So you have the Exodus, right? This is probably the biggest one. You have an entire book that focuses on God freeing his people who are enslaved. And so the slave owners didn't like the missionaries coming in. And so some missionaries got together. And what they did was they produced what is now known as the Slave Bible. And it cuts out a lot Okay, cuts out. So there, there are 66 books of the Bible. So right here, if you have a Bible in your hand, most likely you're going to have 66 books. Okay, these, that's the universal understanding of the, uh, what's called the canon of Scripture. Okay, so 66 books. All right. How many do you think were taken out? More than that. So you have 66 books in the Bible. You have about 1,800 um chapters in the Bible, okay? So I think we have all that. Yeah, so only 14 books were left oh, wow. out of 66 books in the slave Bible because the Word of God is so replete of all these um, freedom passages that they had to take out entire books. And so you have 14 books out of those um, 1,800 plus chapters only 232 were left. That's a little bit, right? Where do you think those came out of? Old or New Testament? Old? New? Okay. Uh, I would assume new because there's a lot of freedom words in new. 
Like, you know, and we're going to go through some of that. But it, those of you who said Old Testament, you're right. 90% of the Old Testament was removed. Isn't that weird? You would think, okay, Old Testament law, right? Being under something, being bound to the law. But 90% of the Old Testament was taken out of the slave Bible because the freedom passages that are in the Old Testament are huge. And about 50% of the New Testament was taken out as well. Because the Word of God is a freedom book. And so that's why our nation is founded on it because if, we have, if we're going to have freedom, where are we going to get it? There's only one place, right? It's only found in God. This is why um, it says that our freedoms come from God, not a government, right? Because it's based on the Word of God. And so the slave Bible is, was used because the slave masters didn't want their people to understand. And so the verses, the verses that were left were things like, Obey your masters. Right? Because that's what you want. But the Word of God, that just tears out the heart of the Word of God. And so, just this understanding, I mean, um, the, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in Luke were words of freedom. Okay, this comes from Luke 4. Luke 4.18 says this. It says, the Spirit, this is Jesus, he stands up in the middle of the synagogue and he, um, or at the, where the scrolls are, he reads the scroll and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those were the first words out of Jesus' mouth, was to proclaim freedom. And one of the things is, as you know, we're going through all this, we're going through Matthew, right? And last week we started going through, we went through the Beatitudes real quick, and we got to this one passage in Matthew chapter um, 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, there's, I think I'm all over the place for Carol, and she's like, where do I go? <laughs> um, in Matthew chapter 5, we get these words. And this is really important stuff. In fact, this is, if you're going to learn some key passages in the scriptures, learn Matthew 5, uh, 17 and 18 and 19, okay? But this is what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so Jesus is saying that he's fulfilling everything. Everything in the Old Testament. Everything in the law. That's why he comes. And so you can go back, Carol, because I jumped ahead. Um, but this is the whole thing, is that Jesus comes to fulfill all the words of Scripture. Every word. And so when we're reading the Old Testament, and I hope you do, because a lot of Christians don't, because they see it as it's old, we don't need it. I don't even like calling it the Old Testament. Because that idea of oldness, right? But in there, Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill all of this. In fact, Jesus' words, right? Jesus' words, his first words, is the wor are the words of Isaiah. He's doing an Isaiah. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so his first words are not even words that he's saying. He's going back to the Old Testament and saying, these are the words I'm going to say. Why? Because the whole word of God is freedom words. And so then, at the end of when he says, I've come to bring freedom, that passage in Luke, he finishes with Luke 4.21, where he says this, Today, so he reads through the Isaiah passage, and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says the freedom that the Old Testament is talking about, that God has been doing, is here right now. And so we need to start understanding the Word of God from this perspective of freedom. That is a freedom document. It is the words of God that bring freedom to the world. In fact, so Paul in Galatians, in um, the book of Galatians, this is what he says in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 19. He says, Why then was the law given at all? Right? 
He says, why is the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, and remember that word seed, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would, be, would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture was locked up uh, has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through Jesus through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. All that said this. Paul's looking back into the scriptures and he says back there all that is given because of Christ. All of it. And that seed is pointing us all the way back into Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. In the first words of freedom to humanity. And so if you know what Genesis chapter 3 is, if you remember, Genesis chapter 3, you have Genesis 1 and 2, everything's good, right? God creates. He says it's good. He creates man and woman. says good. Sends them out to do what he created them to do. Chapter 3, you have a talking serpent, which when animals start talking, it's time to move to a different place, right? So, but you get to Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent comes to Eve and tempts Eve, and she takes of the apple. Adam takes of the apple. God shows up, starts walking through, and says, where are you? And they're like, we were afraid. And so he starts the curse. He goes to the serpent first. He curses the serpent. And in that curse... We get the first freedom passage. Because in the curse that's happening, you have bondage. Adam and Eve and all of creation are actually now in bondage because of sin. And this is what Paul's talking about here. The scripture is showing us how that all everything's under, under sin. And so when we get to 3, verse 15... God says this. He's talking to the servant, but he's also talking to the woman who he's transitioning to. He says, And I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his hill. This is freedom passage. Because what he's saying is, I'm, you're going to be put in bondage right now because of your sin. But there's going to be freedom that will come. There will be a point in time where the seed, and that's actually the word. So in this translation it says, um, between your offspring, but in straight from Hebrew it's the seed. Your seed. And so that's why Paul uses that word seed when he's talking about Galatians. And so all of this is pointing to Christ. To the freedom that is in him. That he's going to be bringing. That we saw in Luke where he says, I proclaim it. And so all of that, even from the get-go, God's already saying, freedom is coming. And then you, go, you start walking through, and there's freedom throughout the whole thing. You have freedom, you have the Joseph story. Joseph's story is all about trusting God and breaking free of a lot of things. You have the judges, and there's freedom there. You have Exodus, of course. But then you have later on in Isaiah. And that's where we get that Isaiah passage that the Messiah would come and bring freedom. And so all this is going on. And so looking back into God's Word, this is what James says. James, in uh, his first chapter, verse 25, he says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom. So he's saying, look intently at the perfect law and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. By looking into God's law, His perfect law, he's saying, there's freedom there. And usually when we look back into God's law, it's like, man, there's a lot of rules. There are. But it's meant to get us to Jesus. Like we talked about last week in Matthew, if you were here, we talked about this understanding that Jesus gets to this point where he's like, your, your righteousness, righteousness needs to be better than the Pharisees. And when you really start thinking about it, you come to this place where it's like, I can't be better. 
And that's where a good place to be. Is to be in that moment where it's saying, I can't be better. I can't be anything. And that's where you come to the poor in spirit at the beginning of the Beatitudes. And so this understanding that freedom is from the Word of God. And we come to 2 Corinthians 3.17, and this is what Paul says of it. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we, if we're really following through the words of Christ, if we're following through God's Word, and we're walking through the whole thing, and you, every time you see these laws and these requirements, every single one of them is to point us to freedom. Because every one of them is to help us understand that we're in bondage. That we're stuck without Christ. And so, I'm going to give you three truths of the Scriptures. Three truths of the Scriptures that point us to freedom. Okay? These are the foundational aspects of the Bible, of where we are in Christ, if we call ourselves Christians, and what our nation is founded upon. Because if it's a free nation, it has to be founded on the understanding that freedom is only in Christ. And so these three truths. The first truth is this. We are set free from sin because of Jesus. Okay? We are set free from sin because of Jesus. There's no other reason. Only because of Jesus. Okay? This is what Romans 6 says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we no longer should be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so this is the first foundational thing. Last week, if we were following along, we can't be righteous enough. We can't be good enough for God. And so we have to be set free from sin. And that's only found in Christ. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are dead to sin. Okay? That means the the bondage of sin is broken. Okay? The locks no longer work. You can take those off anytime. Okay? So that's the first truth. The second truth is this. That we are free to come before God because of Christ. Okay? We are free to come before God because of Christ. Alright? So we go over to Ephesians Ephesians 3 says, I became, this is Paul, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of, the God, of God's people. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now... Through the church, okay, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are your glory. And so Paul says that we can come before God. Why? Because Christ did it. And so the thing is, is it's really easy to get into this idea that I come before God. And there's a lot of imagery. If you go back into the Old Testament, there's a lot of imagery to help us understand what it means to come into the presence of God. That God is a, a, a all-consuming holy fire. And if you've ever been burned by fire, you understand... Fire is not something you play with, right? We try to teach our kids early that don't touch the fire, and then you let them touch it, right? Right? No. Right? Yeah, you do. Let them touch it. Because then it, now I know. 
Because you can tell someone, don't do something, don't do something, don't do something, until they actually realize, I shouldn't do something. And it's really easy to look at God and say, I, I should not go near Him. Because if I go near Him, I could be consumed. And yet through Christ, we can come into the fire of God. And we won't be consumed. Because then it's not a fire that will consume us, it's a fire that will purify us. And we get to boldly come before God in freedom. Why? Because of Christ. And so the final one is this, that we have freedom to do right. We have the freedom to do right. This comes from 1 Peter. In his second chapter, he writes this, Dear friends, now I'm giving you this whole passage so you can hear why he writes in this context. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now I want to step back real fast before we read the rest of it and give you an understanding of what's going on in Peter. And Peter, Peter is writing during the time of Nero, the emperor. And Nero, you know, the story of Nero is that he burns down Rome, right? And the, the story goes that he fiddled while Rome burned. Okay, basically he's saying, let it burn. And the reason why, at least the historical reason why that people give, is because he wanted to rebuild it in his own image. But, so he allows Rome to burn. And then afterwards, he blames the Christians for doing it. And so Peter's writing in Rome, when all this is happening, and he's writing to people, and he's saying, guess what? There's persecution that's coming because of everything that's going on. And then he writes this. And he tells people, so live lives that are good in front of people. And then he writes this next part. So understand how, when, and where, and what's going on when he's writing this. Nero is starting the persecution of Christians on a false precept. And he's writing to other people, letting them know, this might come to you. And he writes these next words. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So Peter's saying, look, things are going to happen. Hard times are coming. Persecution coming. This, read through the whole of First Peter. It's all about the persecution that's on its way. And then in the middle of that, he says, lead good lives in front of these people that are about to persecute you. Why? Because Christ led a suffering life. And if you do wrong, you deserve punishment, is what he's saying. If you do wrong, then you deserve it. But if you do right and you're punished, that, sh that brings glory to God. In fact, the, um, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, Justin Martyr, this, uh, he was a, what we call a church father, an early church um, writer. And he came to Christ because of the persecution that was going on to Christians. And he's watching these Christians' lives. And he's, he's seeing just people living their lives, doing good, and they're being persecuted. And so he comes to Christ because of it. It's one of those building blocks in his life. And so what Peter is saying here is, you have freedom in Christ, right? So we have freedom from sin. We have freedom to come into the presence of God. 
So what are you going to do with that freedom? That's the question. And he says, don't do evil. Do good. In other words, don't walk around and say, well, I can do whatever I want. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. I can do whatever I want because I'm in Christ. No, you can't. You're in Christ. You can't. That's not what freedom is. See, that's a, a misnomer, right? What freedom, freedom is to do whatever you want, right? Well, can you walk down the street butt naked? Oh, you, can. you can. You have the freedom to do it. But there's going to be a consequence because of it. And the reality is that freedom is not to do whatever you want. We have freedom in Christ. You know, it's really interesting. You follow Christ in the Gospels, and there's this point in Gethsemane, in this garden, where Jesus says these words of, if, if this cup can be taken from me, please do it. He's talking to God the Father. Now, Christ has the freedom to do whatever he wants. He's fully God. And, and so he can do whatever he wants. And yet the next words out of his mouth are, but not my will, but yours be done. And so freedom is not, I can do whatever I want. Freedom is, I will do whatever my God wants. Because within that is where I'm truly free. You know, one of the things that it's for a lot of teenagers is identity, right? Well, we do this in our whole lives. Identity is a part of us through our whole lives. This is where you get those midlife crises. So who am I? Right? Identity is huge. And so knowing freedom in Christ, knowing that I don't need to worry about who I am because I'm not really, you know, if you lose your job, who are you? If you, that's true, but that's not who you are. You're, if you are in Christ, you are his. That's your identity. And so it doesn't matter what job you have. You're a child of God. Your identity is in Christ. And so our freedom has to be understood in Christ. And so what's interesting here, in, in the midst of this passage in Peter, I'd love to go deep into this passage because it's great. But he says in verse 16, live as free people. He's talking about Christ. Live as free in Christ, right? And this is the thing. So you know how we, we say Christ is Lord? We say it and it's kind of like, oh, Christ is Lord, right? It's a, it's a term, it's a title, okay. But for them to say Christ is Lord is to go against the emperor. Because only the emperor was Lord. And so when they say, no, Christ is Lord, what they're saying is, you're over there and I'm over here. You know, there's a lot of talk of all, there's stuff going on in our society about, um, uh, let's take it for example, um, Coke. Okay, Coke. I'm not a Coke drinker. Okay, I'm a Pepsi guy. But Coke, right? So the, Coke did this thing where it was like, um, they were telling people, don't be white and all this stuff. And... And there's tons of other stuff. I just bring it up because I don't like Coke, right? Um, and but they had this thing, and then people there was like people. I'm going to boycott it, right? Okay, in the in the New Testament times, when these people were going around and they were telling them, you need to to the Christians, you need to come over here and give sacrifice to Caesar, and it was more like a typical like. Um, I mean, we, we really don't have something similar, but it would be like going down and just buy a Coke. Just buy a Coke. It's not that big a deal. It's just what people do. Yeah, well, I don't want to go there. Um, but just go do it, right? Because for them to offer sacrifices to Caesar, it was more of a ceremonial thing rather than a heart issue. And so to the Christians, they would say, just go do it. Just call Caesar Lord. You'd be fine. And this, they, had, they were free because of Christ to say, no, I can't do that. 
So when he says live as free people, he's saying live as you are called to Christ. Do the things that Christ calls you to, but don't use that then to do evil. You can't use your freedom to do evil. You have to do right. And so this understanding that we are free from sin because of Christ, because of Christ we can come into the presence of God, and because of Christ we can live free, but we must live godly lives. This is the problem with our society. We have lost track of every single one of these. The idea of Christ is the only one that could set us free of sin is gone in our society. So there is no freedom from bondage. Instead, we're becoming more corrupted and more in, in bondage to sin. And we can see this with the, the pain and suffering that's going on in our society. With these riots, with... Um, I don't know if you... There's something that just came across um, the, uh, my feed. And my I follow this group called Ministry Watch. They were talking about in Canada, a bunch of church buildings are being burned. A couple of years ago, maybe it was last year, over in France, there was a bunch of building, uh, church buildings being burned. And these things are just going off because the idea and the sin that we're seeing just flow over our nation and over our world is because it's in bondage. And without Christ being the one that is the only one that can set us free, there's no alternative. And so the, the chains of sin just get stronger and stronger. And we see sin more and more in our society. We have no fear of the presence of God. In two ways. One, we don't care because there, it could be anyone, right? The, who cares what you worship? There's no fear of the holiness of God. That fire that consumes. And at the same time, there's no freedom in the presence of God. If you go to worship God, it's about self. In fact, a lot of our holidays, one of the reasons we don't do holiday stuff, we honor certain holidays like Mother's Day and Father's Day, Memorial Day. But there's other ones we don't. We don't honor Valentine's Day. And we don't honor President's Day. Why? Because a lot of that is more self-focused. And when we come to worship, who are we supposed to be focusing on? God. On God. But our society says, no, 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 the presence of God is nothing. We even do this in the sense that when we leave here, are we still in the presence of God? Yeah. We can be. In fact, we are supposed to live our entire lives in the presence of God. But so often we get this idea that, no, the presence of God is at this building. And I go to church, right? Instead of, I am a part of the church. I am the church. And so the presence of God has been lost. And the accessibility to God, the freedom to come into His presence, has been lost. And so we have people that have no idea what's going on. They're lost in darkness because there's no place to go. And then the last one, we actually spent um, one, one fall, we talked about these um, pastors who fell. This was a few years ago. And there's so much evil in the church that we don't call out. I mean, think about it for a second. Why were there slaves in the United States? It was founded on the Christian documents. Um, there's a, a group called Wall Builders. And they, they go through and they show the history, the Christian history of our nation. And one of the things that, um, I think the guy's name is Dave, the head guy. Um, I might be wrong there. Um, he said that when they were ratifying everything, they almost got rid of slavery. It came down to one vote. And because of that, we endured slavery for another 60 plus years. One vote. Where were the pastors that would stand up and say, you know, this is wrong? 
There was a church in the south. Let's be honest. There was a church in the north. Because there was them there. What about during Germany in World War II? The church stepped back and just kind of allowed the Holocaust. Now you do. Have, I'm not saying that you don't have pastors and, and Christians through it all that were working, but the church big. We need to step up and call evil evil. Even today, we have to do that. We have to call out things that are injustice, no matter where they come from. That's the reality. Why? Because we are to live lives that are good. And so we have to be the ones that step up. And so I have my political views. I don't share that from the pulpit. But there are things I don't like on both sides. And if I was, if you gave me the reins for one day of this country, we would institute a lot of executions in a, in a very short amount of time. <laughs> like, I would not be a good, like, dictator. Because there's so many things that just drive me nuts. But what am I to do as a believer? I am to walk in Christ. I am to live a free life in Christ. Where I say, that is wrong. I can't do that. And yet, I am still going to walk in the of speaking truth and love. Have you ever heard of that? This idea that we should actually speak the truth in love. There is the love that God has for us, but there is the truth that underlies it. And when we do one or the other, if we're just in love, we're not doing the work of God. If we're just doing the truth, we're not doing the work of God. We have to do both. It's speak the truth in love. Society looks like it's floundering out of control. Because there is no hope. Christ is not, to the, to the mind, there's nothing to stop the bondage of sin. There's no place to go into the presence of God, and there's no one stepping up to call people out of it in a loving way. And that's what we need to do. We need to be the, the heralds. We need to be the ones out there sharing and pointing people to true independence, which is only found in Christ. And until that happens, and until the church arises and takes her role properly, our na- you're not going to see a difference in our nation. It has to start with every individual one of us in the Church of Christ. And we can't push it to someone else. We can't say, well, if those guys got their act together, well, if they got their act together, they'd be Christians. There's this um, thing where they talk about, I might be getting a little too like off here, but there's this idea that the Republican and Democrat Party switched at one point. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Yep. Okay. So there's this idea, I forget what it's actually called, but um, that you have the Republicans of the, that were fighting against slavery and all this, right? And you have the Democrat Party that was like the slave party, right? Right over there, right? And, um, and at some point, they switch. So now the Democrats are the ones that were like the Republicans, and now the Republicans were like the... Anyways, that wall builder group, they found one example of that actually happening, of a Democrat becoming a Republican. And he's, you know why he did? He came to Christ. He came to Christ, and all his views changed um, on race. It's because he came to Christ. Because he was set free of bondage. He was able to come into the presence of God. And he was able to live out a life that is good in front of people. And you know what he did? He was a, I think he was a senator. He might have been a congressman. I don't know. Um, but he started integrating his staff. He would have black people on his white staff. Why? Because of Christ. Because Christ set him free. And he was able to walk in the Word of God. And so this is the huge thing.
Why, why is our nation all weird? It seems like, right? That it's just freedoms are being taken away. And it, you know why? Because the nation has turned. What about the church? Well, there's greed, there's lust, there's, you know, it's all of it. It's the sin issue. And so the question isn't, what is the nation doing? The, the, the question is, what is the church doing? And me, as a part of the body, what am I doing? And if we're not participating in showing people to Christ, we're complicit in the freedoms being truly lost. Because, yeah, you know, the reality is, the United, you know what's great about the United States? Every one of us has, have, has more freedom than any point in the world of any other nation. We have more freedom. We live greater than most kings of nations. Are we using that opportunity to point people back to Christ? while we still have it. That is the thing. So on this Independence Day, I want to challenge you this week to do just that. Okay? To, first and foremost, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to. There's no other release from bondage. And that's just, I'm a sinner. I recognize that. This is what we talked about last week. I'm a sinner. I recognize it. Only Christ can save, and I need to accept Him as my Savior. That's it. I mean, talk more, but that is the recap. Then, you have a place to go, and that's the presence of God. Not for Him to condemn you, because Christ already took that payment, already took that punishment, but rather to be refined. Why? To become, to walk in goodness. To live lives of goodness. And so this is the thing. I want to challenge you this week to walk through these three truths of Scripture and say, okay, have I accepted Christ? And if you have, have I been pointing people to Christ? Because they're still in bondage. Do I go into the presence of God freely? I don't just go to church, but I'm, I'm living in the freedom of Christ. I, I, I live in the presence of God. And I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect in this. But are you moving in that direction? Are you worshiping Him to work or to the grocery store or sitting out you know, when it's cool and you're able to sit out um, and just enjoy the presence of God? And then the final one, could you be, if you're living your life, and I brought in one of your neighbors, and I said, are they living a life that is honoring to God? Would that neighbor say yes? Right? It, it, their opinion in the long run doesn't matter. Because it's Christ's opinion that matters. But I'm supposed to live my life... Now, that's not, I'm not saying that everyone's going to love you. Because if, if that were the case, they would have never crucified Christ, Right? But would they hold? Would they be able to really point to something? And if they go, well, they keep telling me about Jesus. Okay, that's not bad. Or are they saying, well, every time they get their dog's poop, they throw it in my yard. I used to do that. That's why I didn't share it. Okay. Or, you know, can they only point to things that would point them back to God and say, well, they do this? Or can they point to other things where they're like, well, yeah, but this isn't what Christ would do? And so I want to challenge you to go through those three truths. And if we do, I love this, this first verse in um, the Psalm, in Psalms 119, not first verse, in verse 45. He says this, he says, I, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. There's only one place to go in this world to truly find freedom. 
And that's what God has given us in the Word of God. This is a freedom book. Our nation was founded on freedom not because they had really good guys and good women that were there. It's because they understood that there's only one place to find freedom. That's in the Word of God. And I can't remember the, the guy that said it. He says, our nation, the, the United States was founded as a Christian nation. And if we move away from that, we'll fall apart. We are. And so we as a church must proclaim the greatest freedom. And if we want to see our nation come back, we have to be the ones that step up to be the, the proclaimers of true freedom. As the early as the early in our history as the church was doing before we became a nation. And so we're going to go into a time of communion. And we're going to celebrate freedom through communion. Alright, so let's pray and then we'll, we'll go into that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the freedom that is in Christ, the freedom that's in your word. I praise you because we get to experience your freedom if we would just allow you to move by your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, I ask that we would do just as we're coming into communion right now, as we're doing this, this act that you have called us into. Lord, help us to, to seek freedom in who you are. So, Father, I pray that we would worship you in this time of communion and that we would glorify you in it. So, I ask this in your Son's name. Amen.